Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. It's good to be back with you guys for the second week of this series that we started last week on the life of St. Macarius called Desert Heroes, or the Heroes of the Desert. So before I start, I want to just uh, make a public confession. The life of St. Anthony is not something that you can cover in one talk. The life of St. Anthony, like, I had read this book, The Life of Anthony, written by St. Athanasius, and years ago. And... When I reread it over the last few weeks, I was so deeply moved by it that I was like, wow, like you can literally talk about St. Anthony for a month. You can literally do like at least a series of 10 talks on the life of St. Anthony. So what I don't want to do is I don't want to try to encapsulate his whole life in a 35-minute talk. My hope is that what we can do is we can take some of the beautiful lessons that he instills in our church. He's the father of monasticism. And when you go anywhere all over the world, they always know the Coptic church because of Anthony. Like he is the father of monasticism. Our church is rooted in monasticism. Now you may be asking yourself, okay, we're talking about all these desert fathers. Hey guys, can you lower the volume just a slight bit? I feel like my ears are ringing. Um, Like you can... You can ask yourself the question of what are we supposed to take away from the lives of these people who fled into the wilderness and left everything? Something that I discovered this week in studying the life of St. Anthony is you have to remember something. In year 314, the Edict of Milan was passed. And the Edict of Milan made Christianity legal. Before 314, every single person that was a Christian was willing to die for Christ willing to shed blood. And you know what? The Christians in the early church are willing to go and offer themselves for Christ as frequently, as willingly as they wanted to. Now, the question that each of us has to ask ourselves is, what happened? So 314, Edict of Milan is passed, and now all of a sudden, Christianity is legal. It's the faith of the empire. The emperor is a Christian, so why don't I become a Christian? It's kind of cool. There's no real bloodshed that needs to be shed for the sake of Jesus anymore. So all of a sudden, you have these people who are in the church and really have this devotion to Christ and really wanting to give themselves for Christ and really wanting to offer themselves because of their great love for Christ. That what was the natural response is we're going to flee into the wilderness. We're going to flee into the wilderness because we're not going to, we can't maybe die like a physical death, but we can die to ourselves. We can destroy the ego. We can destroy the self. We can focus on the love and the devotion that we have towards Christ. And I think for me many years, and I feel like this is my my public confession, for many years I had a very bad understanding of monasticism. I thought monasticism was something that you just flee into the wilderness because you're scared. No, these men and these women fled into the wilderness because of their great love for Christ. The byproduct of them willing to die for Christ is what led them to go in and to 
when you, read, when you hear right now what I share with you, to endure hardship and to endure tribulation and their prayers are what carry the whole entire world. Like when you go to the monasteries of Egypt or when you go to the monasteries anywhere and you see these monastics giving themselves, I'll never forget being in a monastery and seeing this old, probably 90-year-old monk. And as he's praying, oh God, have mercy on us. He's holding on to the wall of the Hageb. He's like holding on because he can barely stand. But when he prays, there's a vigor, there's a fire that's coming out of his mouth because he's standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So these monks are not cowards. These monks are not fleeing to the wilderness because they're afraid. They're fleeing into the wilderness because they love you and I so much. You and I so much. And they want to carry the church through their prayers. So let's get into the life of St. Anthony. So St. Anthony, his early life, he was actually born to a very wealthy family. He was brought up in a good godly family, and they were obedient, and they brought him to church. He, was, he and his sister, they were brought up in a good godly way. Although his family was wealthy, he lived modestly. And this is like the interesting juxtaposition. You know, like when you're very wealthy, the natural byproduct is you enjoy that wealth, right? Like, I'm living my, my best life. But no, he actually lives modestly. And it's interesting. I wonder what was modeled to him by his parents that led him to live a modest life, even though they had the means. His parents died at age 18. I want you guys to consider that for a second. At 18, this man who loves the Lord very much loses his back parents, and we don't know exactly what happened. We, we assume if both died at the exact same time that there must have been some sort of tragedy, but the story doesn't really tell us. His biography doesn't tell us. So imagine he endures this kind of trauma, and then he's left with a young sister that he has to take care of. And the beautiful thing about St. Anthony is that every single time he would go to church, he would ask himself this question, how did the disciples forsake all to follow Christ? Like, what was their, what made them forsake all to follow Christ? So in fact, six months later, he goes into church, and he hears, he's pondering this idea of disciples leaving all and forsaking, forsaking their lives and following Christ, and he hears the story of the young rich ruler. You all know the story of the young rich ruler? The young man comes up to the Lord and says, good teacher, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Christ knows him, sees him, knows his shortcomings. He says, go sell all that you have and come follow me. And this man walked away sorrowful because he was exceedingly wealthy. So St. Anthony hears these words. And I, I want you to think about this for a second. He was accustomed to pondering the word of God in his life. The word of God wasn't something that he just listened to and was like, oh, that's a really cute thing for me to share with somebody else. No, he took the word of God and he lived the word of God and he applied it. So what, he, what does he do? He hears and he responds. He hears and he responds. And what he does is he goes first, he sells all his possessions and gives, saves some for his sister. And then all of a sudden he goes back to church and he hears, do not worry about tomorrow. Today's words are sufficient. The birds of the field have food and the, air, the, the lilies of the field are taken care of. Like, what do you have to worry? So he actually takes the money that he saved for his sister and gets rid of that too. Now, you may say to yourself, that seems like really like, un, not responsible. Like, you're responsible for your sister. She's young and you should take care of her. But in fact, what he does is he takes his sister and he entrusts her to very godly, holy people. And 
he goes and he departs into the outer cities. I want to share what is said about him. He was constant in prayer, knowing that a man ought to pray in secret unceasingly. For he had given such heed to what was read, that none of these things that were written fell from him to the ground. But he remembered all, and afterwards his memory served him for books. He, this man, would hear the word of God, and he would be deeply moved by it. And that's why he was willing to go and to flee into the wilderness. The question that I was asking myself as I was reading his life this week is how much have we heard? How many sermons have we heard? How many times have we read through the Bible? How many times have we come to church and heard the same story of the young rich ruler and it doesn't penetrate our hearts? The question for every single one of us that we have to genuinely ask ourselves is why is it that I hear but I don't necessarily act? Why is it that the word of God moves me sometimes and it's just this quick emotional burst, but there isn't this, this like willingness to actually really go out and to live that which God is convicting me to live? See, St. Anthony took the word of God and he saw it as like this precious pearl. It wasn't something you just hear and you just get rid of. He saw the word of God as what gave him his being. And as I was reading, I kept asking myself the question, like, how much do I value the Word of God? By the way, there was no printing press back then. Like, we have the Bibles in our hands and on our phone and every, every pot. They didn't have the Bible. So when they would go to church, you'd see every single person peeled, hearing, and trying to remember as much of the Scripture as they possibly could. Do we have that same urgency? Very challenging. So then St. Anthony goes, and he flees first to the outer city. And it says, at first he began to abide in places outside the village. Then if he heard of a good man anywhere, like a prudent bee, he went forth and saw him. So if any person that he heard that was good, he just went and clung to that person and tried to acquire as much virtue that he possibly could from that person, nor turned back to his own palace until he had seen him. And he returned having got from the good man as if it were supplies for his journey in the way to virtue. So he finds any righteous man, and he clings to that man, and this man is humble, I'm going to try to acquire humility. This man is kind and hospitable, I'm going to try acquire his kindness and his hospitality. He clung to holy men to acquire virtue from them. And when you look at the way that the life of Anthony talks about how those men perceived him, they weren't like, who is this annoying kid that's coming, and by the way, he's like, like 18 or 20 years old at this time, he's a young man. Like, they're not looking at him as like, you're so annoying, get away from us. They love him, and they want to give him, because he comes with this teachable spirit. <laughs> I remember years ago, somebody was talking to me about the famous football player, Ray Lewis. You guys heard about Ray Lewis? He used to work for the, uh, play for the Baltimore Ravens, and uh, famous, famous, famous uh, football player. And they say Ray Lewis was, like, 24-7 watching tape just like watching film of like different formations from different football teams and constantly watching film for like different, different teams because he was studying the film of other teams like a hawk. They say that he used to watch film like a coach, but on the sidelines, he would what? Listen like a rookie. He'd watch film like a coach, but on the sidelines, he would listen like a rookie. St. Anthony was this man that had acquired so much virtue, but he went and he humbled himself See, the devil's working. I knew it. He's working against us right now. 
I knew it. Look, I knew, watch when you talk about spiritual, I'm telling you, Shushu, every time I come up here to speak, Shushu, Shushu loves to mess with my talks especially. He loves to. He put himself under the tutelage of these men. And he was like a bee. You know what a bee does? A bee finds what is sweet and sucks the sweetness out of it. Ask yourself the question, do you see the goodness? Do you see the sweetness in everyone around you? Or do you think that you've made it? Do you think that you know enough? Do you listen to any single, every single person and as you're listening, say to yourself, I have so much to learn? Or do you come at it from, I heard this before. Yeah, actually, when one time I was reading on the incarnation, actually, this is what St. Athanasius said. A lot of us come at it from a very arrogant perspective and we're not willing to learn and to be taught. St. Anthony was hungry. The other thing that I want to note is the man was very wealthy and wealth and freedom. I heard this from Anthony Paul, actually, or no, Deacon Severus. He says, wealth and poverty, sorry, wealth and freedom. They're, they're, these two, when you combine them in the modern context, they are a, a catastrophic disaster. Like there's spiritually wealth and freedom, which is what you and I have, wealth and freedom. It's a spiritual disaster. St. Anthony says, I don't want to be wealthy anymore. I want to go live a life of poverty. And I want to choose my freedom to pursue virtue, not vice. Virtue, not vice. Like you see this person that is countercultural in every possible way because he's hungry to know the Lord and he's hungry to live in deep loving union with him. What are the lessons for us just on the start? Is he is free and wealthy but pursues poverty and virtue. He takes the gospel seriously. He hears and he acts. And he seeks anyone who has wisdom and clings to them. So in those first few years of his life, he acquires so much virtue. But let's move on. One of the big things in this book that you'll read over and over again, like again, if you want to talk about spiritual warfare, if you want to learn how to fight against, this is the, it's the life of St. Anthony written by St. Athanasius. This translation is actually very nice. It's not too like thy thou, um, if you know what I mean, thy thou. Um, it's just a very nice translation. But when you read the whole book, you're going to see this theme coming over and over again of how St. Anthony fought against demonic forces. Now, you're sitting here, you're in the 21st century, you're saying, Abuna, demonic forces, what are you talking about? Us Coptic people, we know that very well. We understand it. But for many people who live in Western society, devil, demonic forces, what is that? What are you talking about? You guys are psychotic, like you're living in La La Land. That's just, we call it in the modern context of schizophrenia. But no. Actually, there's a great quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. One is to believe that the devil doesn't exist, and into Meganin, you guys are all crazy, and the other is to be obsessed. Oh my gosh, is the devil coming out? Like, giving him too much credit when you are given the power of the Most High to be able to destroy him and to stomp on him. So we have this unhealthy balance. The biggest trick that the devil tries to deceive the world in is to believe that he doesn't exist. And I think for every single one of us, we have to ask ourselves the question, how much do I actually believe the things that are going on in my life are part of spiritual warfare? Do I attribute too much to the devil? 
Do I attribute too little to the devil? Do I believe that he has anything that he's doing? Let's look at the life of Anthony and you'll see. So St. Anthony, after he lives on the outskirts of the city, he decides that he wants to go out into like, the wilderness. And the devil despises St. Anthony. So I'm going to read a few things to you guys, like certain quotes, and I want you just to follow with me. But when the enemy saw himself to be too weak for Anthony's determination to go flee into the wilderness and to fight against sin, and that he rather was conquered by St. Anthony's firmness, overthrown by his great faith, and falling through his constant prayers, then at length putting his trust in the weapons which are in the navel of his belly and boasting in them, for they are his first snare for the young. He attacked the young man, disturbing him by night and harassing him by day. Non-stop. The moment that St. Anthony goes to the wilderness, what does the devil do? He's going to attack him. He wants to stop him. And I want to share with you some of the ways that he attacks him. I, I kind of broke it down to like five things. There's plenty more. The first thing that he does he's, is he attacks him with guilt. He says, what about your sister? You're going to leave her? Haram alik. Like, she's, you're, you're orphans and you're going to leave her by herself even more? He makes him feel guilty. And he makes him think like, you should have just taken that money and not given it to the poor. And you should have went out and tried to serve your sister. What kind of neglecting person are you? I'm obviously filling in the blanks of what the devil did. But that's the gist of it. And then he says to him, he tries to, tries to hinder him with wealth. Sometimes he'd be walking and he'd find like a, a plate of silver. And he'd look at it and be like, I'm in the middle of the wilderness. Why is there a plate of silver here? Like, unless, and there's no trail, and there's nobody that's walked here before. This is definitely from the devil. So then you'll see, he puts gold another time on his way. He constantly tries to tempt him with this desire for wealth. And I'll talk to you in a few minutes about how St. Anthony sort of is radical in his perspective, radical in a good way. Radical in his perspective of like, what good is it for you to have all this wealth and to lose your own soul? What good is it for you to have all the things but miss out on knowing Christ? The third thing is he actually tempts him with the sin of lust. Time and time again, he actually would appear to him like a woman, like actually a woman, and would, this woman would like parade herself before him. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I fled into the wilderness to get away from women, and then I come here and they come after me. Like the devil's trying to tempt him in every possible way with lust. And then you see him also tempting him with this doubt in his endurance. Are you really going to be able to do this? Come on, the journey is really long, Anthony. Like, you just started. You're a young man. Do you think you could really last in the wilderness for the rest of your life? You see, and by the way, I think this book is what inspired C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Because when you read how the Screwtape Letters is written, he takes points and he talks about in the beginning of the incarnation, he writes a, 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 a thing about how we should read ancient books. So he definitely had read Athanasius, he definitely had read all these different people when he was writing his, his books. So the other thing is he reminds him of his past life. And I think this is something that all of us in our own spiritual journeys, we can say, I think all, all five of these things have been tempting to us. We've had guilt of past experiences. You mean to tell me you're going to try to be a Christian now? You're such a faker. I know what you did a few years ago. I know what you do behind closed doors. You're, you're guilty. You're ashamed. You shouldn't come stand before God. And he makes you feel this sense of guilt. You know what? 
those Christian people, if I just become very, very wealthy, I'll be able to help a lot, a lot of people. So let me just work and work and work and work and acquire and acquire and acquire in hope that I can actually help so many people. And I'm going to forget God for a little bit, but I'll come back to you, God. Like, I'll come back to you after I acquire my wealth. And time and time again, people seek after their own kingdom and forget the kingdom of the Lord. Time and time again, he tempts this whole generation. This is a generation plagued by the sin of lust. This is a generation that you can't look right or left where you aren't provoked by the images of, of, of lust and the image of fornication everywhere. Doubt of endurance. You're never going to be able to make it. You're never going to be able to get there. You think you overcame the sin, but for how long? How long do you think you're going to be able to overcome it? How long do you think you could be faithful? How long do you think you could actually, do you think you can endure till the end? And a reminder of maybe life apart from God was better. I used to go out to parties. I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to do that. I used to have all this fun. And there's this perception that the devil always makes us feel when we are on the journey to God that life with him is not as good as life was before. And this is the struggle against demonic forces. This is the struggle against our old man. So St. Anthony, time and time again, destroys the devil. And when the enemy could not endure it, but was even fearful, fearful of St. Anthony. I want the enemy to say that about me. I want the enemy to say that about you, that fearful, afraid of the, the people of St. Mark. That in a short time, Anthony would fill the desert with the discipline. I can't let this Anthony guy continue to do what he's doing because if I keep letting him do what he's doing, he's going to fill this whole desert with people that are following in his ways, that are able to fight against me. Absolutely not. This is the last thing that I want. So look what he does. Coming one night with a multitude of demons. This is the craziest story when you read this. With a multitude of demons, he so cut him with stripes that he lay on the ground speechless from the excessive pain. He's praying one night, and the devil literally appears him to the flesh, in the flesh, and beats, beats him to a bloody pulp. And and by the way, it can't be schizophrenia because the next day his like person came and saw him, and he was literally covered in a pool of blood. Like the person that attended him found him laying there like half dead. Look what he says. For he affirmed that the torture, this is what St. Anthony tells St. Athanasius, for he affirmed that the torture had been so excessive that no blows inflicted by a man could ever have caused him such torment. But the providence, but by the providence of God, for the Lord never looks, overlooks those that hope in him. So what happens? Devil sees him fleeing into the wilderness, sees him, wants to beat, beat him to a bloody pulp. And he does. And his attendant comes and takes him and brings him back to the city. And the people walk by like, oh, sucks to be St. Anthony. He must be dead. And they literally thought he was dead. So they walk by him. Anthony's dead. Wow, what a tragedy. Crazy for thinking that he'd go out and live in the wilderness. And he wakes in the middle of the night. And he looks to his attendant. He said, why did you, why did you bring me here? Bring me back. So his attendant goes and takes him back to where he was staying. And when he gets there, but the enemy who hates good, marveling that after the blows he dared to return, called together all his hounds and burst forth. You see, said he, that neither by the spirit of lust nor by blows did we stray the man, but that he braves us. Let us attack him in another fashion. But changes of the form for evil are easy for the devil. 
So then that night they made such a din that the whole of the place seemed to be shaken by an earthquake, and the demons, as if they were breaking the four walls of the dwelling, seemed to enter through them. He goes back, and he's sitting there in a bloody pope, just saying the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy, just saying the name of Christ. And they say, isn't this the guy that we just beat to a bloody pope? He's back here? Let's bring on extra ammunition. So they bring on all, and they shake the cave, and they shake the place, and they make... Like, me? Like, I see one little demon, I'm going to run and hide underneath the chair. Like, like, to be quite honest with you, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to play with Afarit, you know? Like, I'm just, like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be fighting against any demons, just let me hide underneath my chair. Like, I'm playing with that stuff. Like, this is a different world. He, he goes back to the same place that the devil just beat him to a bloody pope. And he says to them, here I am, Antony. I flee not from your stripes, for even if you afflict me, if you afflict more, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. And then he's saying, though a camp be set against me, my heart shall not be afraid. <sighs> this guy's like, <laughs> like, there's no other expression, but he's a baller. Like he's, he's, he, re he really is. Like this man, I, I'm reading this book and I'm like, yeah, if, if I got literally beaten to a bloody pulp by the devil, I'm, I'm going to be scared to pray. Like, I'm going to be literally hiding underneath it. I'm going to probably go check myself into a psych ward and think there's something wrong with me, truly. But look what St. Saint, Saint Anthony does. But then this is one of the most beautiful, profound things from the story. He says, where were you, Lord? Where were you, Lord? Why did you not appear at the beginning to make my pain cease? Look at the humanity. I love him. And a voice came to him, Anthony, I was here, but I waited to see your fight. Therefore, since you have endured and have not been worst, I will ever be a helper to you and will make your name known everywhere. Having heard this, Antony arose and prayed, and he received such strength that he per perceived that he had more power in his body than formerly, and he was about 35 years old. At 35 years old, this man is fighting against, like literally, the devil and all his demons trying to bring down this one man. What is so special about this man? What, why, what's so special about you, Anthony, if not your great love for the Lord Jesus Christ? The devil fears people that love the Lord. The devil fears those who will be known and will make him known. The devil quakes at those who literally fight against the kingdom of darkness. And St. Anthony really to us is this testament of this young man who flees into the wilderness because of his great love for the Lord, and he fights and fights and fights, and he teaches us this persistence in the fight. Like I said, after this, the devil just doesn't leave him alone. He keeps on going after him, just like he keeps on going after you and I. Then again, as he went, he saw it was this time not a visionary, but real gold scattered on the way. But whether the devil showed it or some better power to try the athlete and show the evil one that Anthony truly cared for nothing for money, neither he told nor do we know. But it is certain that which was appeared was gold. And Anthony marveled at the quantity. He laughed. He's like, <laughs> he got some money on the road. Where did this money come from? But passed by as though he were going over fire. Look at this part. So he did not even turn, but hurried on at a, at a run to lose sight of the place. What does he do? He sees this gold. And he like walks away and then he sprints. He sprints to not remember where that gold was. Like this is St. Anthony. This is the guy who just fought against like the devil himself and all his demons. He still 
Let him who think he stand tall take heed lest he fall. Like, I'm not putting myself in the temptation of looking at money. I'm running as far away as I possibly can. And I think this is the testament for all of us in our own fight against our own inner darkness, our own struggle with warfare, our own struggle with sin. Sometimes we close a door, but we leave it a little bit cracked. Sometimes we know that there are certain things and certain situations in every single one of us that are hindering us from being who God is calling us to be. And we leave these doors open, these opportunities to return back to the life apart from God. See, St. Anthony had a power. And his power is what us Coptic people know, the sign of the cross. We learn about the sign of the cross from St. Anthony. St. Anthony, time and time again, he's being fought. And all these people, he goes after a period of time and he escapes into a cave for 20 years and he shuts himself in. He shuts himself in in solitude in this cave. So all the people start to hear about this great Anthony in the wilderness. And they say, we need to follow this guy. We need. So what they would do is they would go and they would stand on the outskirts of the cave and they'd find and look and peek through a little hole only to see what St. Anthony was doing. So one night these travelers come and they get to this cave where St. Anthony's staying and they stoop down. They saw through a hole that there was somebody and they were thought, they start to hear, they see St. Anthony, but they start to hear like this war happening, like the, 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 the cave shaking. They start to think that there's like an army coming in and they came through like the top somewhere to destroy St. Anthony. But look, <laughs> and they called on Anthony, them he heard quickly, though he had not given a thought to the demons and coming to the door, he besought them to depart and to not be afraid. So they see what's happening and they're like, all right, how are we going to get home now? Like, he's coming, we've peeked through this little hole of St. Anthony fighting against demons, but I don't want to, like, go back where we came from. Like, what happens if the same war comes against us? And he says to them, don't be scared. You dummies, you have the king of kings on your side. Do the sign of the cross. Sign yourselves, therefore, with the cross, and depart boldly, and let them make sport for themselves. So they departed and were fortified with the sign of the cross. That's cool, right? I don't think we, we usually think about who gave us this tradition of the sign of the cross. St. Anthony was one of the first person to write about it, to teach St. Athanasius, and to make it a thing that the cross is our fortress, the cross is our strength, the cross is the means by which we are able to overcome any dark forces. i got to move along quickly now. Forgive me. So there's another story about the sign of the cross, but I'm going to move forward a little bit faster. And so for nearly 20 years, he continu- continued training himself in solitude, never going forth and but seldom seen by any. So he locks himself, people come, they see him, they peek through the holes, they watch the, the things that he's doing. And look what happens after he comes out. Small text, but I'm going to read it for you. When Anthony emerges from his cell after almost 20 years, when those people saw him, therefore they were amazed to see that his body had maintained its natural condition, being neither fat from lack of exercise nor weakened from fasting and fighting with demons. They found him just as they had known him before his withdrawal. You guys with me? So they thought they were going to see the skinny, frail man, but they found him strong. The character of his soul was pure, for it had, been, for it had neither been con- contracted by suffering nor dissipated by pleasure, nor had it been afflicted by laughter or sorrow. Moreover, when Anthony saw the crowd, he was not disturbed, nor did he rejoice at so many people greeting him. Rather, he maintained equilibrium like one being guided by reason and stood squarely according to nature. Now through Anthony, the Lord healed many, 
there were there were there were there were those who were suffering from bodily diseases or illnesses and purified others of their demons. The Lord gave grace-filled speech to Antony, so he comforted many who mourned and reconciled others who were fighting and made them friends, telling everyone in addition to prefer nothing among the things of the world over their love for Christ. So this man is in the middle of the desert. He's being fought. He's being beat up. And when he finally emerges, this man is beaming with light. Everybody wants to be with him. Everybody wants to come and, and, and take. It's enough for me to see your face, Abba, they would say about Anthony. Just by seeing your face and seeing the grace that God has given you, there's something really powerful. And we all know those people. We all know those, those people that have been illuminated by God. You want to just, like, let me just sit at your feet. Like, you know, they talk about Abuna Fadnus and Abuna Feltaos and the people, like, they would just flee to them because they just wanted to be near them because they saw their devotion to Christ. But what are the lessons that he taught us from solitude? After he's in, the, in, in solitude for 20 years, you can't wait to hear what he has to say, right? Like, you're excited. You, what did Anthony say after 20 years, Abuna? Let me tell you what he said. He continues to write for the next, and speak to monks, and give beautiful, beautiful things. But I'm never, I've never hyped up a book as much as I'm hyping it up now, but I really encourage you to read it. So, lessons from solitude. Focus on heavenly wealth. Focus on heavenly wealth. All of us in the West, we have a lot. And there's nothing that we can do about it. But there's a difference between being attached to your wealth as your identity and your wealth is the byproduct of what God has given you in order to be able to help others. Many of us take our identity from our wealth. St. Anthony says, Therefore, let the desire of possession, the desire to have, take hold of no one. For what gain is it to acquire these things which you can't take with you? Like, what is it for you? Good for you to take, have all these different things, and in the end, you can't bring it with you. Why not rather get those things which we can take away with us? Wit, prudence, justice, temperance, courage, understanding, love, kindness to the poor, faith in Christ, freedom from wrath, and freedom from wrath, hospitality. If we possess these, we shall find them of themselves, preparing for us a welcome there in the land of the meek-hearted. Focus on the things which you can bring with you. Focus on the things which will leave also a lasting legacy to those behind you by the person that they encounter in you. The last thing that I want people to say about me when I'm on my deathbed or at my funeral is that Buddha was very wealthy. He had some great accomplishments. He built a really beautiful church. He uh, you know, had a full meeting. He was, God forbid, God forbid that's what people talk about is your accomplishments. You want people at the end of your life to say, that man was an icon of Christ. That man pointed me to Jesus. That man was the reason why I fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want for people to say about every single one of you. That's surely what I want people to say about me. I want people to say that I pointed to Jesus. Second thing he says, we're, we're wrapping up. I know everybody needs to run to Sunday school and pick up their kids, but we started late. Therefore, my children, let us hold this discipline. He asks you, if you had 24 hours to live, like what would you do? Like if each day was your last, how would you live it? For we have the Lord for our co-worker in this. As is written, God works for good with everyone who chooses the good. And in order that we do not become negligent, it is good to carefully consider the apostle's statement, I die daily. For if we so live as people dying daily, we will not commit sin. The point of, saying, of this saying is this. As we rise daily, let us suppose that we will not survive until the evening. And again, as we prepare for sleep, let us consider that we will not awaken. But it's by its very nature, our life is uncertain. 
and is meted out daily by providence. If we think this way and in this way, we live way we live daily, we will not sin nor will we crave anything, nor bear a grudge against anyone, nor will we lay up treasures on earth. But as people who anticipate dying each day, we shall be free of possessions and we shall forgive all things to all people. If today was your last day, which by the way, tomorrow isn't promised. I hate to be morbid. How are you going to live your life today? How are you going to live your life today? Will you be at the end of your day when you close your eyes saying, I lived my day to the best that I possibly could. I have no grudge against anyone. I have no hatred towards anyone. I have not, I have not sought after things which are not from above. He teaches, he comes out and he's illuminated and he goes out and he teaches these people these virtues from you and me. And then he also teaches us this power of the name of Jesus. Another time, the, the devils or the demons attempted to strike him. And once a very tall demon appeared in an apparition and had the daring to say, I am the power of God and I am providence. What do you wish that I give you? So the devil comes and tells him, what do you want me to do for you? I'm, I'm the provider. I'm the one who gives everything. But then, but then, especially I puffed at him. And speaking the name of Jesus, he disappeared. That's gangster. Like, like, it's, like, like, like he, sees, he sees this demon that says, I am the providence. He goes, Like, you know, like, you're nothing. And he walks away. In the name of what? In the name of Jesus. Like, truly, truly. Is that a bad word to say, I don't know. I'm not sure. I never know. I never know. I, I, I thought that it was just a spit. Sometimes I should be careful with my Arabic because I don't know. So he finds himself, in the name of Jesus, destroying demons. But look what happens. I just want to show you the person who's filled with the Spirit, the person who is enamored in their love of Christ, how they write about him. And it was as if a physician had been given to God by Egypt, by God to Egypt. For who in grief met Antony and did not return rejoicing? Who came mourning for his dead and did not for, for did not forthwith put off his sorrow? Who came in anger and was not converted to friendship? What poor and low-spirited man met him, who hearing him and looking upon him did not despise wealth, and came to him and became not all stronger? I won't continue for the sake of time, but what happens when one is immersed in God, when one is so in love with the Lord, they're just burst forth as these beacons of hope and light. They burst forth as these people who spring life to others. I want to share two final points. So we get this idea of focus on heavenly wealth, live each day as if tomorrow isn't promised, the power of the name of Christ, the power that comes from somebody who's been illuminated with God as they become life-giving to other people. But this is my favorite one. So there's this monk that comes and meets St. Anthony in the desert. And when he gets there, he notices that the monks aren't that serious, like the Antonian monks. And he's like, I came from Palestine to come and to see what St. Anthony was doing. And I heard of the fame of these monks. And they're hanging out, they're talking, they're communicating with each other. They like live and they sit, like they rest, they sleep. St. Anthony, 
he says to him, take a bow. And he tells him to take the bow, and he says, shoot it. Shoot it again. Shoot it again. Shoot it again. He keeps on keep shooting it. Keep on shooting it. Keep on shooting it. Keep on shooting it. Keep on shooting it. So keep, keep shooting the bow. And finally the man goes, I can't shoot anymore. I'm exhausted. I can't do it. And he says, if we stretch the brethren beyond measure, they will soon break. Sometimes it is necessary to come down to meet their needs. When he heard these words, the hunter was pierced by compunction and greatly edified by the old man, and he went away. As for the brethren, they went home strengthened. This man, some people say he's a hunter, some people say he was a, a Palestinian monk. He wants to run a sprint, but it's a marathon. Spiritual life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's those who endure. So he wants, he teaches us this life of balance, is don't run too fast, because if you run too fast, you're going to get exhausted. It's the slow and steady built that produces virtue. It's those who build every single day upon yesterday that grow. But if you try to run too fast, you will fade out too quickly. And if all those things you do are not because of the outpouring of love that God has poured into your heart and the grace that God has given you, you will fatigue too quickly. So there's this need for balance. And you read that all through the life of Anthony. This idea that the middle way is the way that saves. It's not to the extreme of the right and not to the extreme to the left. The middle way is the way that saves us. I'll close with this final quote. With regards to the ones who visited him, this is after years of living in the desert, he often predicted days in advance, and at times even months, the reason why they were coming. In fact, some came just to see him, and some because of sickness, and other beca others because they suffered from demons, and all considered the effort of the journey neither an annoyance nor a loss. For each one went home feeling the benefit, and even though he said and saw such things, he asked that no one marvel at him on this account, but rather that they marvel at who? The Lord. For he has shown favor to us in the measure of our capacity for knowing him. This is the life of the saints. The life of the saints is we never, they're never like, hey, look at me. The life of the saints are saying, look at him. He has given me the grace and he's allowed me to embody him for the benefit of you and for the benefit of me. So I ask for all of us, if you haven't read the life of Anthony, Maybe we'll make that our, our Lent Bible book or something, Abuna. I don't know. We have to, the life of Anthony is just... But I ask that all of us, there's Vespers on Monday night, Life of Anthony. We're commemorating his life, and we're going to do Tamgid for him and for St. Mary. And we're also on Wednesday morning, we're going to have a liturgy from 5 to 7. And Tuesday morning from 8 to 10, there'll be another liturgy. Um, but Wednesday is the Feast of St. Anthony. Tuesday, there's another liturgy from 8 to 10. I would encourage every single one of us that we would say, Lord... I, I'm, I'm as hungry for you, and I want you as much as St. Anthony wanted you. So let me learn from his life. Let me imitate him as he imitated Christ. Pray for us, St. Anthony. Glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.